Well, good morning. morning. I'm Mark. I'm really glad you're here. Glad to be here together on another beautiful Tennessee day, isn't it? (laughs) Go Eagles. Just had to throw that in. Hey, welcome to Amp, Blen, Bearden, Roan County. We're all gathered together this morning. Glad you're all together and hopefully in a warm space. Hey, um, I'm glad to be able to spend a little bit of time with you today in the Word. And so if you've got your Ephesians journal or your Bible or smartphone, you can get open there to chapter 3 of Ephesians. We'll get back there in a minute or two. Hey, my wife's name originally was Terry Nanfelt, N-A-N-F-E-L-T. She was a Nanfelt, and so I married into a Nanfelt family. And at our wedding, um, she had one uncle on her father's side. His name's Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob was married to Aunt Jan. Uncle Bob and Aunt Jan are multimillionaires, and they lived in North Jersey on an estate, complete with swans and ponds. I mean, it was crazy. They had, they had ponds with swans. Who has that, right? And if you do, I'd love to meet you, love to spend some time with you. But uh, anyway, Uncle Bob and Aunt Jan came to our wedding, and they gave us a very lovely rocking chair. It's, in fact, we still have it. It must be a really good quality piece of furniture, because it took a licking, and still working, right? But after that, we didn't hear a whole lot from Uncle Bob and Aunt Jan. It went years into our marriage, really. So we were married and living in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was youth pastoring. We had two girls back-to-back, 14 months apart, Emily and Megan. And we were trying to make ends meet. Anybody been there? Trying to make ends meet. Terry cut hair. She was a a beautician, a hairstylist, cut hair out of our home for a while. And and she would cut hair and go to the grocery store literally every day. She'd go to market, put the kids in the wagon. We lived about two blocks from the grocery store. And she'd she'd get her money, get her cash from a haircut and head over to the grocery store. So if I called home and she said, man, you don't believe it today. I had a perm or a color. We're having chicken. (laughs) We're eating some meat tonight. And I remember a few times laying in bed at night Thinking about Uncle Bob, with one fell swoop of a pen, he could change my life. I married a missionary kid, but I apparently married into money. But where where was that happening for me? Hadn't heard from Uncle Bob in years. One day I get home from work at the end of the day, and Terry says, hey, you won't believe this, but Uncle Bob and Aunt Janet have invited us to be a part of a Nanfelt family reunion. And I was ticked off. Of course they have, narcissistic Uncle Bob, who's got ponds and swans and hasn't thought of me in four or five years, right? And I went off on a tangent. Of course he wants us to come. I don't even know, Terry, if we have the gas money to get to North Jersey. I don't know if I want to go to Uncle Bob's house. And she said to me, before you get your panties in a wad, and that was her language, not mine. (laughs) So take it up with her. Before you get your panties in a wad, Mark, listen to what Uncle Bob wants to do. Uncle Bob and Aunt Jan want to fly us all to, to Florida, want to give us a land and sea Disney excursion for seven straight days. And I looked her straight in the face and I said, I've always loved Uncle Bob. <laughs> I love me some Uncle Bob. And Aunt Jan. I'll be a Nanfelt for a week. I will do this thing. And I did that. I was a Nanfelt for a week. I flew Nanfelt style. I landed at, at the Disney Resort, got on a Nanfelt bus, had a big sign, Nanfelt. I got on that bus. I'm Nanfelt. I'm all in. Went to the Floridian. We had a great time at the actual park. Then we boarded the ship, got on the Disney ship, and I ordered room service round the clock as Nan Felt should do. (laughs) I was all in. I was a part of the we. You getting the connection here? Paul's been writing to the church at Ephesus, and what he's been saying to these people in Ephesus is that your identity is all caught up in the we. And I know that's a little bit of a stretch for us, but we get that. We've been a part of the we before. And so what he's getting after here is like your identity is going to be understood and discovered by seeing yourself as a part of something bigger than you, a part of the we. 
And as I looked at the passage, chapter three, and spent a lot of time in it this last week, what, what kept, kept emerging from the text itself, over and over, there's this sense of plurality. There's this sense of we. Over and over, I highlighted every spot I could find in chapter three, and he talks about you Gentiles, you fellow heirs, you members of the same body, partakers, family, all the saints, and he clearly refers to the church, the church being more than one person, the church being we, and he actually talks about the church not only as the church he's writing to, but he refers to it, as you'll see, in, to all generations, which not only includes the we, but includes the us in the we. And so finding ourselves and our identity in Christ has everything to do with the we. And this is the second time, the last time I got to speak, Paul talked about the first prayer. Remember when he said, hey, when I think of you, this is how I pray for you. And back in Ephesians chapter one, this is how Paul said he prayed for the people in Ephesus of the we, that God would give these followers the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That God would actually give them a greater understanding of who he is. That was his prayer back in chapter one. And now he's bookending this prayer. And it sounds like he's finishing up his letter. If, you, if you're not careful, you think, I think the guy's coming to the end. But if you flip a page or two, he's got three more chapters to go. But what he's doing here is setting up a doctrinal and theological foundation of who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ, before he gets even more specific. And what he prays for in the second half of this letter is this, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. That God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his very spirit. We need the, the power of the Holy Spirit to grasp who we are. You get it? We need the power of the Holy Spirit even to grasp who we are. I, I need the enlightenment that comes from the spirit of God himself to grasp who we are. Who we are? He said it over and over. He'll say it over and over in the weeks to come. We're the church. We are the church. We are God's plan from the foundation of the world. And Paul prays that the church would grasp their identity. And he just starts this prayer. He started, this is how he started a couple prayers here in the book of Ephesians. He says, hey, for this reason. Then he breaks into prayer. So he just barely starts this prayer in verse one, he says, for this reason, then he gets off on a tangent, and he starts to describe what the mystery is that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, we'll hit it again today, the mystery of the gospel, and his credentials as it relates to the gospel. He starts to talk about his relationship with the gospel, and then he gets back to this prayer, and we'll pick it back up in, in, in about 14 verses, but here he goes. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, he says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it's now being revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord in the gospel. Of this gospel, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very, I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purposes that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. There's a whole lot in there, isn't there? 
A whole lot. We can't cover all of it. We're gonna hit a couple highlights here because I think Paul wants us to understand in a new and a, and a greater way where it is that we understand who we are in Christ. We need the, the spirit of God himself to grasp the wisdom of God fully revealed in Jesus. We need the very spirit of God to reveal to us that the fullness of God is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. This is the very work and the ministry that Paul's been called to. He, he's, he's drilling this home. The secret that's been a secret for all ages Though it's been pointed at, if you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament, it points to Jesus, points to Jesus, points to Jesus. But now what Paul's saying is, in a real clear way, hey, this, this Old Testament's always pointed to the Messiah. I'm here to tell you, the mystery's now being revealed. It's been hidden for generations, and now it's come to pass. God is revealing by the work and the power of his Holy Spirit that the gospel, the Messiah, is Christ and Christ alone. And he wants them to be sure that this is the mystery that's being revealed as well as his very call to it. Remember who Paul was? He, he, he accused and abused Christians. And now he's saying, hey, the, the very ones that have found the Messiah, those are the ones who've got it. This mystery is being revealed. Access to God now is direct. The veil was ripped in two. And, and, and when Christ died on the cross, access to to God himself and, and to the, the very person of Jesus is now open to all men. And what he's getting after here, he's saying the wisdom of God has always been planned and now being revealed by a spirit. And here's what it's doing. It's making enemies family. Something supernatural is happening here. He goes, it's making people who once couldn't even look at each other family. Remember who he's writing to? He's writing to the church. At this point, the church was filled with a bunch of Jews and a bunch of Gentiles who lived very separate and different lives. If you don't think that, that there was cultural differences between these two people, um, I encourage you to get into the word and see the differences that were there. But what he's saying, what's a beautiful picture of, of the, the revelation, the Holy Spirit has revealed the gospel to people, is that people who once couldn't stand each other are now more united in the gospel of Christ than what separated them culturally more united in who Jesus is than what separates them culturally. Back in the 60s, I don't know how many of you are alive back then, back in the 60s, mid-60s, uh, my family attended a Methodist church. And around the corner from our church was another Methodist church. It was about three blocks away. That was a black church. You can probably guess I attended a white church. And and what happened was the denomination decided to actually close down the black church, the, the Methodist church. And so leaders from our church, leaders from their church got together and they said, what if we, we actually formed and became one church? Remember, this is the 60s. And what happened was we went down on a Sunday, after, Sunday afternoon and met halfway between our church and their church and walked into a brand new chapter, a brand new chapter of life together. Now, we lost a lot of members of our church. They lost a lot of members of their church. But what happened almost relatively quickly was we got into a new normal. And now that I know a lot more about the backstage of church, I'm sure there was a lot of other things happening, a lot of conversations, a lot of drama that took place with that. That wasn't an easy thing. And yet, how powerful it was for me to grow up in a church where I was so culturally different from so many people that were around me, and yet what united us was the gospel of Christ. Powerful. I remember one, one moment we'd be singing as we always sang before in very lily white style. <laughs> Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. And then we'd have a word of prayer and some scripture reading and then we'd move into, he's got the whole world in his hand. I mean, it was amazing. I, I was a part of blended worship before that was a thing. 
And yet what was taking place there, get this, grasp this, was nothing less than the supernatural. That's the spirit of God at work and the people of God saying, hey, what unites you in Jesus is far greater than would ever separate you, ever separate you. And that's what Paul's talking about here. In the very first chapter, he says, I'm delighted by your faith in Jesus. And then he says this, and it's a quick line, he says, but it says so much, and your love for all the saints. That they had a love for one another. They, they, they actually loved one another and loved each other well. Now, I know you know your Bible probably as much as I do and go, it didn't always stay that way. They struggled with that. As certain, certainly they did. But, but there was a time where the power of God was experienced and revealed in such a way that it spoke volumes to the, the people around them. And if you look here in the text, it says it also spoke volumes to the spiritual realm. Beyond the physical, beyond what people were seeing, it spoke volumes to, to the spiritual realm, that all that's beyond the physical. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known in the spiritual realm to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was a proclamation to the physical and the spiritual realities of the universe in which we live, an amazing thing that was taking place. Then and now, it's the Spirit of God who continues to re reveal the mystery of the gospel. The, the wisdom of God is revealed through the church. We are his design, his plan. We were from the beginning of time to make Jesus known in this world. And Paul reminds them that the plan was always to unite all things in Christ, that there's only one people, one people under God, and they have a name. And here's their name, and he makes it really clear. It's called the church. Let me just say this. I know we've said this before. I'm gonna drill it home again and again. God didn't, before the foundation of the world, go, hey, if this thing doesn't go well, if Adam and Eve hit that tree over there and things go bad, I gotta come up with a plan B or a plan C or a plan D so I can get people back on track. The church wasn't God's second or third plan to get people back on track. The church was God's plan from the foundation of the world. God knows all things. He knew where this thing was going and the church was always going to be his tool, his representation in the world to reach the world and draw people unto himself. We're not God's plan B. We're plan A. It was always going to be this way. And what he's saying to the, the people of God here is that I need you to understand your identity. It's always been part of what I've planned and designed in you. And then Paul returns to his prayer where he prays that believers would have the strength to comprehend their full identity in Christ. And here's what he prays. This is a pretty long run-on sentence. You ready? You ready? You ready online? Good deal. We see you. Hey, verse 14 for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Do you, do you get that? He's saying, hey, what, what, he's, what he wants them to grasp and understand is that we need the Holy Spirit to grasp the power and the fullness of God that's in Jesus. We need the Spirit of God to do this for us. And you might say, Mark, you just read it. I get it. I hear it. I understand it. And yet, do you? We need the Spirit of God to actually drill home in my heart, your heart, our hearts as a people, the fullness of who God is. And the first aspect of knowing the fullness of God is experiencing, and I gotta take you back here again, experiencing both the physical realm and the spiritual realm. 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and I pray to God that all of you hearing my voice here, other rooms, other campuses, and online, I pray that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray that you do. If you've experienced Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've entered into a relationship with him, here's the truth about you now. You're in the physical realm, and you're in the spiritual realm. How so? How could Jesus come to live in you when he's seated at the right hand of the Father? He's physically present. He physically resurrected and seated with the Father. So when we say we've asked Jesus into our heart, yes, we've expected and invited Jesus into our heart, but who resides here? It's the Spirit of Christ. It's Jesus himself. It's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who resides in us. That makes me a spiritual human being. In my inner being, he says, I pray that you'll get this in your inner being, in your inner human, that you'd get your physical, absolutely, but your spiritual as well. If you died and I had the skill and it wasn't going to gross the rest of you out and we did an autopsy right here, I couldn't point to the spiritual reality that's going on in your life. I can point to the physical, what I see, touch, feel, what I can actually experience, but I, I can't point to the spiritual. But it's no less real, and that's what Paul's praying. He goes, I need you to get this. I need you to understand your identity and who you are in Christ. Yes, physical and yet spiritual. That's where he calls us to grasp, calls us to understand. And I love this passage because it talks about the love of God, that we would grasp it, that we'd understand just the breadth of it, the length of it, the height and the depth of it, that we'd know the love of God. And yet, if, if you look a little closer at the passage, I know a lot of us land here and think, boy, if we could just get the love of God. Yes, if we just could. But Paul says, that's the ground level. That's the baseline. He goes, I'm praying that you'd, you'd understand the love that God has for you because it's a baseline of what he's gonna get to in a minute. We'll get there in a minute as well. But before we do, I think we gotta unpack this a little bit. Paul prays that we would grasp the love of God. Why? Because we trip up on it. We trip up on this. In fact, he uses a couple metaphors. He goes, I want you to get this, but in the metaphors, it gives you an, an, a clear insight on what he's saying, where the love of God is in our life. He's saying, I want you to be rooted and I want you to be grounded. A botanical and an arch, uh, architectural reference, an arch, uh, metaphor. He goes, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be rooted in the love of God. Rooted like a tree firmly planted by the river's edge who when the storms come are able to withstand all that happens because your roots go so deep. You're grounded in who you know you are as a people of God because you're loved by God. I want you to be grounded in the, in the love of God, he says. I want you to understand that's foundational for you that everything else you build upon on top of the love of God comes after that, but you can't do that unless you know where you're grounded and who who you are in Christ and how God loves you. Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would give them the strength and the power to embrace the truth of the love of Christ. And I gotta tell you, this is where most of us get tripped up. This is where you get tripped up. This is where I get tripped up on the love of God, that, that God really does love us. When, when we read scriptures like, hey, for God so loved the world, he loved the world. All of us loves us. Hey, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Who dies for someone they don't love? Because he loved you so much. Knowing your filth, knowing the stuff that if you put up on a board going, who loves me? Who, who could love me through that? God does. He says, while you were yet sinners, I died for you. And then even so many of us often trip over the very love of God, falling into old stuff, falling into new stuff even, and falling away from God. He goes, come home, come home, come home. It's the prodigal, come home. There's more love for you. My love for you is beyond what you can possibly ever grasp or imagine, but Paul's praying that you'd get it, that we'd understand it. And he says it's at the very baseline of who we are and our identity in Christ, and so we need to get it. 
I think we need to get this and get after it, yes? We need to understand the love of God. I have two daughters, 30 and 31, Emily and Megan. Love them, love them. And I got to hold our granddaughter. We have one outside the womb, one inside the womb still coming. But I got to hold our granddaughter, first granddaughter a week or so ago, and I was looking at, I was looking at her and going, I don't know her very much yet. Like, and what I, was, what I was captured with and reminded of was, was when I first held Emily, in 1990, and then Megan in 1991, when I I first held them, I was scared having a child, because I don't like kids, sorry. (laughs) Terry would say, it's not that you don't like kids, you don't like kids that misbehave, tomato, tomato, right? I mean, (laughs) my kids misbehave, right? I wondered if I'd have any depth in me, a capacity to love another human being like I love my wife. And yet, I remember holding Emily and then Megan in the first weeks and months of their life going, I got something welling up in me I didn't know I was capable of. I got a love for these little girls. I will do anything for them, and I have. I've done a ton of stuff for them. And I've tried to communicate to them when they were children, when they were adolescents, when they were young adults, and now adults, how much I love them. And you know what? They just can't grasp it. They can't get it. How could they? How could they get the kind of love I have for them? They don't get it. And now they don't even care. They really don't. They've replaced me with younger bearded men. Wesley and Travis. Oh, we love Wesley and Travis. Well, okay, enjoy that. I was sitting in their house last week looking at both my daughters going, I was welling up going, you have no clue. Didn't say it out loud because I think it would just be left on the floor, but you have no clue how much I love you. No clue. So flip that on the other side before God. We have no clue how much he loves us. I told you last time I spoke of a good friend of mine in her late 70s is is experiencing the love of God in a new way. Always knew she was loved by God, but experiencing it in a new way that's transforming how she sees herself, life, and everybody in it. There's something more that, that God's longing for us to grasp and understand as he longs for us on a baseline level to get that he loves us. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, right? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I need the Holy Spirit to help me to grasp the love that God has for me. I can't do that on my own. Physically speaking, I can't look at what he says about me and how he says he feels toward me and go, got it. I need the Spirit of God in me, the Holy Spirit in me to convince me, to compel me, to help me understand the love of God. That's a spiritual reality. That's what I need, that's what we need, that's what we are experiencing and hopefully need as a church and are stepping into. That's where he's calling us to. Paul prays that we would have the Spirit's power to have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith, that we might grasp the love of Christ. That's a big ask, isn't it? I said ask. That's a big ask. But hear this. That's only the front end. Read the, whole, read the whole sentence. He says, I'm asking this so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Does that blow you away? Read it. Read it. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. That you may have a baseline of knowing God loves you. Why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's pretty full. Is he not? He's praying that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Either he's messing with our heads in this passage or he's calling us to something else. He, he calls us and asks the Holy Spirit to, to continue to help us to grasp how much God loves us. At the same time, he says it's immeasurable. Well, if I can't measure it, how will I ever know if I get there? 
And now he goes, I'm praying that the Spirit of God in you would move you to a place of knowing on a baseline level God's love so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I may be filled with the fullness of God. That's crazy talk. So either he's trying to mess with our heads or, and I think this is the truth, he's calling us to more. He's calling us to more no matter where we are, no matter where I am, no matter where you are, no matter where we are as a community of believers. He's calling us to more. He said there's more to understand. There's more for you to know. There's more for you to grasp. There's always more, whether you're 75, 85, 95, 15, 25, 35, whatever. There's more for you. He's calling us into the the further. He's calling us into the more that he has for us, the more that he longs for us to grasp. And then Paul ends this section of his letter with a call to worship as I see it. Doesn't say it that way, but I think it's a call to worship. It sounds like a benediction, and yet he, he's concluding his remarks. He's, he's finish, finishing up his talk a little bit about what it looks like on a doctrinal level, and he's gonna go into some real practical stuff over the next uh, three chapters. And so if you're not buying into we need the Holy Spirit to grasp that God loves us, that God's calling us to the more, then you might, you might wanna check out and come back in about two or three months when we're finished the next section because we need the power of the Spirit in us to actually live the way God's called us to live. And he, he prays this and, and actually implies this in this benediction. He, he talks about the Father, he talks about Jesus, and he talks about the Spirit. If you, if you read much in Ephesians, I hope you've been listening to it week in and week out and on Fridays, running it through your head. He's very Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's praying that we, the church, would glorify the Father and Jesus through the work of the Spirit. That, that, that this is something that's happening in who we are as a people. Listen to what he says, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. All right, I read that, I read that too Middle of the road. Hear this. Here's what he's saying. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's calling us to worship. And and here's the truth about this even. I need the Holy Spirit to worship God. I, I can't even do that on my own. We need the Holy Spirit to grasp the power of God to glorify Jesus. I need the Spirit within me, the supernatural reality of the Spirit within me to help me actually engage in the worship that I know I'm called to do. We're called to worship. It's a call to worship. And worship's everything you think about when you think about the word worship. It's bringing glory to God. It's praising God. Worship is, is literally lifting our voices together. Worship is literally bowing our heads together and asking the Spirit to continue to move and even to, and to teach us how to pray. Worship is, is engaging our minds and getting into the Word in such a way and looking at the text of the Scripture and saying, Holy Spirit, help me understand what's right here on the page in front of me. Those things are all worship. And, and those things are, are, are all worship, and yet there's more. If you, if you look at Romans and, and Paul's teaching all throughout the scriptures, in Romans chapter 12, I think it is, he says, hey, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer all of who you are. He talks about the inner man, the inner human. Offer the inner human, the spiritual part of who you are. Offer the physical part of who you are as living sacrifices to God. For this is what? Your spiritual worship. We're called to worship God with all of who we are, everything in us, not just on the weekend, but all in and throughout the week and every area and aspect of our lives That's what he's calling us to. 
And then he finishes it up and he says, this will happen through the church, through all generations. So if you think it's just for the Ephesians, he's tying us into this. He said, this is what the church has always been about, what the church is about, and it's for all generations. It leads right up to you and I, that we've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is the work he's called us to, that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices before him. And he, he finishes it and, and completes it with a strong word, amen. He says, amen, so be it. And what he's saying is, may this be so. Not just amen on a polite end to a prayer. May this be so. He speaks it with authority into existence, into the life of the church. This is the work and the mission of the church, the people of God. Again, the church was not man's idea. It was, you think, ah, oh, you're paid to say that. You're a pastor at the church. This is, this is your shtick. No, it's really not. It's what I believe more than I've ever believed before because the word of God says it's so. This is who God's called us to be. The church was created by God to glorify Jesus. And I think that's often where we go, I get that, I would agree to that, I would assent to that. Absolutely, Mark, that's true. And I think what happens oftentimes is we think, okay, well, that, that's taken place and, and, and the gospel has reached me. I'm in, I'm in, Mark, you're, you're, you're singing to the choir. Yes, I am, I'm in. And yet, I think we leave it there. And what Paul's praying for is that there's more. He says, I'm praying that you would know a baseline love that God has for you so that you know the fullness of God. There's more he's calling us to. The more that God has for us in this life and in life to come, this fullness and the more cannot be known. It can't be known all by yourself alone. You didn't come to Christ all by yourself. People participated in that. You're not walking with Jesus all by yourself. I get in my Jeep like you get in your truck or your car, play the tunes. It's just me and Jesus. I love this. It's awesome. Yeah, that's great. But, but that's not all that, that is your relationship with Christ. And you won't grow further in your walk and relationship with him all by yourself. Here's the truth of the scriptures. Here's the truth of what Paul's praying for and getting after and getting at, which we're getting after and getting at, is it's gonna happen, like it or not, with the rest of us. You're gonna grow and understand the fullness of who God is by hanging out and being more a part of the church, the rest of us. That's his message. That's his call for you, for me, for us as a church. I'm so tired of talking about the pandemic. Anybody else? Oh. But it was... It was a, a pretty marked event in the life of the world, but, but in the life of the church. I, I rethought church like many of you did during the pandemic. I have friends of mine who were pastors who are no longer pastors. They rethought church and went, I'm out. And I remember walking through this campus and other campus with other pastors and directors and folks on our staff praying, and, and I wondered, would we ever get back to what was once normal? Should we ever get back to what was once normal? What, what would this look like on the other side? And I remember walking through the buildings and just kind of sad, like there's just a, a, man's, a, a massive amount of expanse through the buildings and there were no kids running the classrooms, there were no folks hanging out after services or in the parking lot, there were no biscuits down in the cafe, that was sad. <laughs> and I stood here on this platform with a camera right here and a guy named Evan on the other side trying the best I could in a brutal way to actually teach the word of God pretending you were all out there. It was brutal for me and it was probably twice as brutal for you to watch. And what I, what I emerged from, even before life started to look like normal again, what, what I was emerging from and with a new compelled conviction and a resolve, and we have been as a church, is that whether, whether it ever got back to normal, we know that God has called us to be the church and to be present 
And how that's gonna look in the days to come, we didn't know back then. What was missing back then was you. What was missing back then was every last one of you. What, what we missed, what you missed, what we were wired to miss was what we experienced together. There's only something that we can experience together supernaturally when we're in the same room, when we're in the same space, when we're gathered together. It doesn't happen on a screen at home. It doesn't. It can, and if you're there and, and you've got an ailment or something, then that's a great place to be. But it really only happens when the people of God are together. There's something supernatural and spiritual that takes place in a way I can't point my finger at. I, I can't really tell you that's it until we experience it together. I experienced this again last weekend, serve, serve Saturday. Last weekend, Terry and I joined two ladies from church and we went into a neighborhood in Lenore City and scrubbed walls for a couple hours. And you think, wow, what, what did that do? It did a whole lot. I felt like I'd been to a worship service, I really do. I, I got excited about this gal, this lady whose house we were in, we got to be Jesus in front of her. What, what that will do, how God will use it, how the Spirit of God will transform her life and world in some way, shape, or form, we're still praying and, 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 and looking to what God might do there. I got to hang out with two ladies that are from our church that look familiar, but I never met them or know their knew their names. Got to hang out with them. I felt like I was a part of something bigger. But even more than that, while I was scrubbing a wall, I, I got this big smirk on my face. I was excited because what I thought about was all of, so many of us, hundreds of us on multiple on multiple, in multiple counties, actually being the hands and feet of Jesus. I was a part of something bigger. I was on the Nanfelt bus. And I was excited to be on it. You were on the Nanfelt bus. And we were excited to be on it. And there's something that spiritually was happening, washing a wall that I can't describe, but I know as a part of something bigger. We have some 80 or 90 people right now considering partnering with us at Two Rivers Church on all three of our campuses. It's a class called Wade In. And, and what, what we've heard from people throughout the years when they say, well, why are you here? Why, why choosing here? There's a lot of options, and there are a lot of great options in the greater Knoxville area. There are. Why here? And this is what people point at. This doesn't make us better or worse. It's just what people say. There's something I can't put my finger on here. Yeah, the teaching. Yeah, the worship. Yeah. But there's something I really can't put my finger on. I, I don't know how to describe it. And what they're pointing at, I believe in my heart of hearts, is what Paul's pointing at what the Spirit of God is doing within us is that we're a people of God compelled and convinced that we've been put here on a mission and a purpose and God's called us to something bigger than us. I think that's what people are being drawn to. That's what I'm drawn to and I hope you're being drawn to that. that that's, what, that's what and who we are as a people. And I hope that I hope that when you think about Two Rivers Church, you think about the vision that God's given us to be a part of. We can't do it by ourselves. We know that we know that we know that God has compelled us to have a, a larger footprint in the greater Knoxville area. What that looks like, not for Two Rivers Church's sake, but for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the gospel, is that people all over nine plus counties, over a million people, would experience the same life-saving, transforming power of Jesus that I've experienced and that you've experienced. We believe God's called us to be a part of that. It's beyond us. It's so big. I remember when we, when we, when we prayed about this and thought, this is really what we believe God's called us to do. This is big. This is audacious. Like, who, who do we think we are? And I think we're finding out who we are. We are the people of God. We are the church. We can't do this on our own. We're gonna partner with people all over our nine-county region, and there's some to actually see God do what only he can do in an incredible, miraculous way in this, on the supernatural side of the life that we live in. And yet, here's the truth. What, what and who we are has everything to do with who we are. 
who y'all are, who we are together. And so I don't know how many of you are relatively new to Two Rivers. Y'all look familiar to me at this point. And yet here, here's the deal. The pandemic's over. I hope it never comes back. The church is reemerging. We know that we know that we know we've been called to be a part of something much bigger than us. And so we're, we're not only asking you, we're telling you, if you're Two Rivers Church, if, you, if this is where you are now calling home, then be all in. Be the church. Don't just visit the church. I know large, church, large churches look like, hey, they're good. They've got things covered. Barely, most weekends. Talk to anybody that is a volunteer. Like, yeah, we covered it. Lord willing, God made that happen. But, but, but we need all of us to be the church. We need all of us to step in and be a part of who God's called us to be. And it means more for us than just attending on the weekends. If you're attending on the weekends, good for you. I'm singing to the choir again. You're here. You're in. Awesome. Be here consistently. And that's just not my, I know I'm paid to be here every week. It's a little different. <laughs> but you ought to look at it the same way. When you think about the month, like I'm attending church this month. Other things that come up, let them fit around those things. There's something that only happens when we're together. And not just for us, but for you. There's something that only happens in you when you're together with us. And so make, make attendance a, a regular part of your rhythm of, of, of hanging out with God's people, being the church that God's called us to be. And I'm going to go a couple steps further. You want to go? Three of you. Awesome. Let's go there. Hey, step in further. Step in beyond. And, and here's what happens. I think it was a couple weeks ago when uh, in our Live It Out section in our bulletin, it's the, if you open up your bulletin, it's on the right side. When you open it up, there's a Live It Out section. We're going to point that we're going to point you to that every week because that's what we're doing together. We're studying the Word of God. We're praying together. We're looking at the Word of God individually and corporately together as a team, as a group of people. And so I think it was a couple weeks ago, one of the questions was, when have you felt and experienced the supernatural work and power of God? And it was a great conversation that was happening. And, and here's, what I think, here's where I think most of us landed. I think we all know, hope you've heard this, that there's a supernatural reality because I'm a believer now. The Spirit of God resides within me. But when do I experience that in a greater and a fuller sense? And here's what I believe to be true about this. When I step into something that's beyond me, out of my reach, that's when I experience the power of God in a new and a fresh way. Not the only time, but that's when I experience it. When I put myself in the way, when I put myself in the way of the Spirit of God going, I, I think you're calling me to do this. This feels out of my depth. Can't you ask somebody else? But I, if nobody, I, I'll do it. I'll step up. That's when I experience the power the supernatural reality that's a part of our lives. Be really honest with you, there's not a week that I don't leave that seat to come to this table and feel like I'm jumping out of an airplane. I'm literally jumping out of an airplane. I don't even know until I've jumped if the chute's on. <sighs> am, I, am I here? Am I gonna make it through 35 minutes, whatever? Like, there, there's something that's out of my depth to step into something that I believe is physical. I'm physically here, but I believe God wants to do something supernatural in my life, in your life, in our life as we interact with the very spirit and the word of God. And God's calling all of us, all of us to step into that space that's beyond us, that, that's just out of our reach so that we can experience the power that he wants us to know, the fullness of all that God wants us to know in him. So what is it for you? Maybe it's the next step. Maybe it's volunteering somewhere. We need volunteers left and right all over the place. If you don't have a space and place that you think, hey, they need me to show up this week, then I'm telling you, you're not all in. You're not two rivers. You're attending and you're coming. You're enjoying us to some degree, and I'm glad you're enjoying us, but we want you to enjoy us and embrace us because we want to enjoy and embrace you. 
Stepping in, what does that mean? Stepping into relationships, moving further into a conversation. Maybe, maybe as tough as it is after a service, looking one other person in the eye and going, hey, my name's Mark. Maybe it's going further in a growth group. Maybe it's leading, maybe it's volunteering. Maybe it's partnering with us in, in a prayer movement that has already begun and has been going on for years that we're asking God to do an amazing work through us in the greater Knoxville area and around the world that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's a part of the next step for you. Maybe the next step for you is also participating and volunteering and getting into a group or whatever it is, whatever that is. And I'm gonna hit one more box. You ready? You got energy for one more? I'm gonna hit it hard. You, you probably don't hear this a whole lot. Being a part of Two Rivers Church means that you're giving to Two Rivers Church. I'm talking about money. It's a real physical thing. The physical reality of money helps us do the spiritual things that we know God's called us to. You go, I've had people come up to me and go, you never talk about money here. Are you, are you endowed by the denomination? You have a big donor? We don't have a big donor, and we're not endowed by the denomination. We're not. It's by people faithfully giving to the work and the mission of the church because they're all in, and they believe God's called us to be all in. And it has everything to do with what comes out of my pocket. That we would be a people who are marked by generosity. That we be a people who not only give generously, but give consistently. There's boxes in the back of every venue. In case you've never heard me mention this, just want to say it out loud. There's boxes in the back of every venue. There's envelopes there. You can drop those in a, in a box. Or you can join the 70% of us who give online. Real easy and simple to give online. But, but I'm telling you, not because, not because it's tied to my job, but because it's tied to the word of God. And not just for us, but for you to be us, you've gotta, it's gotta cost you something. It's gotta cost, you gotta be all in. You gotta be a part of the movement, part of what God's calling us to do. This is who we are, Two Rivers Church. And I know a couple of you right now at least are saying, dude, this is getting pretty legalistic. I thought this was a grace church. It is getting pretty legalistic, in a sense. You mean to tell me if, if I show up consistently, if I volunteer, if I participate and I give, I'm a good Christian. You wanna know the answer to that? Yeah. Huh, surprise you? Yes, it makes you a good Christian. There are bad Christians. Paul's gonna talk about in the second half of his letter, I want you to be good Christians. I want you to put into practice the very truth and the identity of who you are. I want you to walk this thing out with each other. Is it about earning anything? Absolutely not. Hear this. If you do all those things, you've earned nothing. It's all in a response to the grace and the gift of the gospel that God's placed in my life and in yours by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's our response to God, not to earn anything. I love Dallas Willard when he says this. I'm way off track here. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You earn nothing. Earning is an attitude. Effort's an action. Effort is putting myself in the way of God, putting myself in the way of the Spirit, putting myself in a place that's out of my depth and beyond my reach. Why? So that the fullness of God might be experienced and expressed in my life and our lives as a church. And let me just say this, closing comments. I know you love when the band comes out behind me, don't you? Oh, he's wrapping it up! I see them. I got a little bit further to go. Hang in with me. Here we go. As one of your pastors, I am so incredibly proud of, of who you are, who we are as a church. Verklempt even. Proud of who we are. 
proud that we know that God's called us to something beyond ourselves. Proud of you for doing the work and engaging over and over, week after week, month after month, year after year, in the work that God's called us to be. And if you're relatively new to Tuber's Church and you're not all in, folks, here's the deal. Be all in or be all out. Be all out. I know the elders might get me, I might get in a little trouble for this. We need your seat. If you're not gonna be all in, move on. Be somewhere else where you can be all in. This isn't just Two Rivers Church take on the Bible. This is the truth of who God's called the church to be. So whether it's here or someone else, somewhere else, and we'll help you find, there's some great churches locally. Be somewhere else, but be all in wherever God's called you to be. And so for all of us this week, I think the question for myself, for you, for us as a church is, is where am I supposed to step further out of my depth into the fullness that God has for me? Where is that? I want to experience the more that, that, that Paul's prayed for, that the church was always designed to be. I want to experience it in my life personally, and I want to be a part of a church that's experiencing that corporately. And so the ask this week for you is this. Jesus, where are you calling me to step further in? Where, where's the more that you're calling me to step further in? Where, where's, the, where's the next step that I'm supposed to take to be a part of the we, the church? And I, I'm guaranteeing you to answer that question, if you'll join us in the Live It Out section, we're doing this together as a church. Again, that's the space inside your bulletin that's gonna walk you through. Nothing there will take you more than a few minutes each day. I believe God, the Holy Spirit, will answer that question for you as you actually rally in the word, rally in prayer, and have the Spirit of God move and speak to you in a way that only he can speak to you. That's who we are. That's who God's called us to be. And I pray to God that you'd be a part, that you'd be all in. In this venue and our other venues and across these camps, I'm gonna ask you all to stand. I'd like to pray Paul's prayer, his benediction over us as we move into a final song of worship. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. If this is your prayer with us, would you say amen? amen. Let's sing.